Today in Understanding Immigration, Extracontinental Illegal Immigration. And so until we're willing to address that and acknowledge that not all of these people have legitimate asylum claims, you know, we're just beating around the bush. So in April, Border Patrol agents apprehended more than 33,000 illegal aliens from countries outside of Mexico and the Northern Triangle. A lot of this is intentional. You know, they're trying to increase the numbers of individuals coming into the United States, you know, legally or illegally. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. This is Preston Hennikins with FAIR's Lobbying Department, and I am joined by our Press Secretary, Matthew Tregesser, and our Research Director, Spencer Rayleigh. Today, we're going to discuss one interesting aspect of the current border crisis and evaluate how it reveals greater issues with our immigration system as a whole. The Biden border crisis continues unabated with no real change on the ground. Most of the people coming in are still some of the usual suspects, people from Central and South America traveling overland to the southern border. But increasingly, our law enforcement agencies are apprehending aliens from all over the globe, including many from countries that the U.S. considers state sponsors of terrorism. So, Spencer, I just want to go ahead and start with you and just ask, you know, how is this possible? How are our policies set up that this is something that can occur? Yeah, thanks, Preston. And first of all, when we talk about extracontinental illegal immigration, we're talking about illegal immigration from essentially outside of our continent. You know, most illegal immigrants even now still come from Mexico or Central America. So when we talk about extracontinental illegal immigration, that could mean those from South America, but more often we're talking about individuals from Europe, from Africa, the Middle East, Asia, somewhere other than where the usual, usual suspects come from. And honestly, right now, the reason this has become such an issue is pretty simple. It's hard to get legal visas or even travel permits to the United States right now due to the COVID pandemic. But even if it were easy, why should you, considering there are almost no legal ramifications for illegal entry? So with the combination of those two issues, you have more and more people just opting to fly to Mexico or Central America, areas where you often don't even need a tourist visa to visit, and then make the simple trek north cross the border, can either be detained and in many cases released into the interior of the country without even a uh, notice to appear or just cross the border and not be detected at all. So because of that, we're seeing more and more people just try to bypass the bureaucracy or, uh, you know, everything else and just try to come to the United States illegally. Right. And it also particularly makes sense when we think about the issue that our country has with asylum abuse, where, you know, if, if your goal is to come in and just stay in the country indefinitely, right, before it would make the most sense to just fly into LAX and just never leave. Exactly. Um, but when, if you think that you have a, you know, you have a claim to asylum and the current administration has pretty much said that they are open to any and all claims, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, why wouldn't you fly to Mexico City and then just you know, join a caravan, join, you know, there, it's not difficult to, to get to the, uh, you know, so our Southern border when you're there and then just, you know, go through the asylum process like everyone else, knowing that you're going to be released into the interior of the country, knowing that you're going to get a work permit, uh, and knowing that ultimately you'll be here. Even, even if your claim is ultimately dismissed, you'll be here for about two years. 
Yeah, and we're we're seeing in addition to that individuals who have asylum claims that are not approved under the new deportation priority system most likely aren't going to be removed anyway. So best case scenario, you come to the United States as an illegal alien, you don't have to wait through the entire process of trying to come here illegally, uh, and then you get approved for asylum. Worst case scenario, your asylum case isn't approved, but you still don't have to leave, and you know there's a essentially a 0% chance that the federal government's going to come looking for you or prosecute you for working in the United States. So again, it kind of comes down to the situation, why bother go about this the right way when there are essentially no ramifications for doing otherwise? It's, you know, it's pretty interesting how we talk about, you know, where these migrants are actually coming from outside of Central America and Mexico. You know, there's one story I was reading about from the, in the New York Times uh, literally this past month, talking about a migrant from India who had flown to Dubai from Mumbai and then had flown to Paris all the way to Mexico City, uh, took a two-day bus trip to the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, and I assume applied for asylum. And, th and then as you mentioned, Spencer, you know, these asylum claims, the whole process for this could take years at a time to, you know, get your court hearing date. And many times, more often than not, these asylum seekers won't show up for their court hearing date and they just, you know, kind of disappear into the interior. But my thought about this is, you know, are, they, are these migrants really being persecuted if they're flying pretty much all across the world into Mexico City, bypassing all these countries to qualify for U.S. political asylum? You have to uh, be persecuted by your government based on your race, uh, religion, nationality, uh, political opinion, or membership to a particular uh, social group. But if you're bypassing all these countries and you're just kind of like, you know, asylum shopping, it doesn't really seem like you're being persecuted. And, you know, it's highly recommended, if not even, you know, mandated that you apply for asylum in the first safe country you arrive in. And that's not what's happening at all right now. It's people are bypassing all these countries. Well, I think the numbers prove you're right, Matthew. I mean, if you look at how far down the asylum fraud rate was, and even the asylum application rate was in the United States after MPP was implemented, it shows that the situations aren't quite as dire for the vast majority of these applicants as, you know, they should be to meet the criteria for an asylum application. Individuals opted instead just to stay in their home country instead of trying to come to the United States, putting in an application, then staying in a safe third country, because that wasn't their ultimate objective. It wasn't to reach a safe country. It was to come to the United States and ultimately find work, meaning that these are economic migrants not asylum seekers. And yeah, it might suck if you are looking for a better economic life, but you have to follow the correct uh, channels to go through that and not just exploit whatever loophole you can find in the country that you want to go to. And I think, especially in that example, Matthew, you're, you're talking about someone who's spending hundreds of dollars, just an airfare alone, uh, not even to talk about, you know, food, how, you know, um, hotel accommodations. That, I mean, that's not a trip that you make and just an afternoon I mean, right. that, that takes significant planning significant you know a significant number of stops along the way uh, someone who is who is fleeing for their life or you know you're you know you, you don't necessarily know if that's that's the kind of person doing that right you know if, especially and i'm not saying that india doesn't have its own problems obviously it does for certain populations there but um you know was was france not you know, safe enough, you know, uh, these a other, I mean, it's like, again, it just goes back to, there are obvious examples of asylum shopping and it's entirely because of the way that our system is set up. Uh, and yet we've, we still have politicians who just ignore the problem, pretend that 
these incentives do not exist. Um, and I think it's just very, uh, it's indicative of, of everything that's kind of come from the U.S. not recognizing safe third country status for, for a number of different countries. Right. And then also if you think about it, these types of asylum seekers, um, you know, they're basically creating kind of, or they're adding more to this backlog that we already have. So now people that actually have legitimate asylum claims and are actually you know, facing persecution, now they're being kind of pushed to the sidelines by these people that, you know, again, may not even be uh, be persecuted. They may not even qualify for asylum. You know, again, seeking better wages or finding a better job or reuniting with family doesn't qualify for U.S. political asylum. So, you know, we already have more than a million uh, cases in our backlog right now with you know, just a few hundred immigration judges to adjudicate them. So, I mean, it's just, it adds on to this uh, backlog and, you know, it, it's, it hurts those that are actually needing it, uh, you know, whether it's from Central America or wherever around the world. Yeah, and that's, I think, the really tragic thing here. And to your point, the current backlog for asylum cases is tens of thousands long. And the current backlog of immigration cases in total is over a million long. So you're talking potentially two, three, four years before you even get your first real hearing. And for someone who may have a legitimate asylum claim in the works, that's a long period of instability in their lives, of not knowing what's going to happen. Or am, I, am I going to be able to stay in a safe country or am I going to have to go back? And that's all because people are using this as a loophole to resettle in the United States. And I think something that we're starting to potentially see that's going to make this an even bigger problem, especially with extracontinental migrants coming to the United States and applying for asylum, is that there is an additional security element to those uh, cases that has to take place as well. You know, we're seeing uh, a rate of rise of more than 100%, more than 200% in some cases of individuals coming to the United States from terror-prone countries such as, you know, Yemen, uh, other countries in the Middle East, Egypt, etc., where when someone applies for asylum from one of those countries, we have to go take additional steps to ensure that they are not placing our national security at risk. And with the current administration essentially saying, hey, you can just come on into the United States, resettle, and then we'll go through this entire process, it makes it even more troubling, uh, especially when we can't do initial security checks on these individuals. That was one thing that um, was very... Uh, very great about MPP is, you know, for individuals who might uh, pose some sort of national security threat, we could require that they not remain in the United States until uh, until that case is heard. And it just made citizens a lot safer. You know, you mentioned uh, individuals from Yemen. And I think that it's important for our listeners to know that actually, uh, just in January, two individuals who are on the terror watch list uh, were apprehended at, their, at the southern border. And, and so, you know, again, I know it's it's just it's not as large of a number as you know people may think it is, but it, it still does present national security concerns, and that doesn't even account for those who are you know known as gotaways at the border patrol. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have the bandwidth to even apprehend these people, and they're just kind of they know that they have crossed the border unlawfully, but they don't they can't apprehend them. They don't have the resources or bandwidth. So yeah, it, it is still some uh, a, a threat that should be considered seriously, and you know. Think about 9-11. There were 19 actors involved in mm -hmm. that, and that is one of the you know, most deadliest events ever in U.S. history. So it really doesn't take that many harmful actors to inflict you know, the damage, catastrophic damage, like we saw with 9-11. With that, you know, that's a really good point, and honestly, it's, it's the gotaways that are often the more notorious individuals. 
we actually see in many cases where uh, human smugglers attempt to get the attention of Border Patrol over to, you know, the individuals that are hoping to, uh, the economic migrants hoping to come to the United States and work. And while that goes on, the more criminal element to illegal border crossing is occurring somewhere else where there aren't any Border Patrol. And we're seeing that reflected even in apprehension numbers, even in the customs duties that you see ICE take place in. Obviously, the number one offender is going to be the drug trade. You know, most of that still comes from Central and South America, but not all of it. You know, there are a number of drugs that are on the rise in the United States that are produced overseas. Fentanyl. Fentanyl, exactly. <laughs> Uh, another another concerning thing that we often don't see mentioned in the media is counterfeit goods that are coming in from China, from India, from you know other countries that are either counterfeit, which of course hurts American companies, or perhaps uh, produced up to standards that wouldn't be allowed as United States commerce, such as produced with slave labor or. Uh, you know, using dangerous materials, buying mm -hmm. a, you know, a toy car or something with lead paint. You know, these are things that often come across the border as well and find their ways into various shops or thrift stores or whatever in the United States. And we're starting to see more and more goods like that being seized because our border is so porous. You know, individuals from, you know, other countries and across the ocean are seeing that as, you know, an economic opportunity. Hey, you know, the entire customs system is essentially down because this uh, the border of the United States is not secure. Therefore, we can start pumping other goods in and making money that way, which, you know, hurt Americans. It hurts our safety. It hurts our economy as well. Yeah, and that I think that's such a great point to bring up about the gotaways because, you know, in the particularly in the 90s and the early 2000s, everyone that that came illegally tried to avoid border patrol because the goal was really just to kind of get in, work under the table. Um, that has now changed because of our asylum loopholes. And so everyone who wants to pursue that same goal of just getting into the U.S. so that they can work, they want to to run into border patrol. And they go, in many cases, they go out of their way to, to encounter a border patrol agent because that's how the asylum process begins for them. Um, Whereas you're, you're correct, Spencer, bring up the point that for the smuggling organizations, it makes a lot of sense to, to shield their activities mm -hmm. by bringing in, you know, these, you know, these migrants, even though that's not their primary business. And yeah. so Border Patrol is now having to identify, house, um, and, and address the, the people while, you know, a different element of that same group that brought them over can drive the drugs into the interior of the desert or, you know, yeah. smuggle people that are going to be sold for, into sex slavery into the interior. Uh -huh. It's it's really a front for their true business. You know, in some ways, this is a lot like what you'd see occur in the 1920s prohibition era in the United States. You might have a legitimate looking business, you know, a, uh, you know, something that, you know, criminal organizations would use as a front in order to hide the more primary business, you know, the more n uh, notorious or nefarious um, goings on that they have. And that's what you're seeing here, bringing individuals to the United States, intentionally putting them in contact with Border Patrol. While that's going on, they smuggle drugs across the border where those Border Patrol agents should be patrolling. It's, it's a front for what really makes them most of their money. Now, here's some interesting figures based off of that. So in April, Border Patrol agents apprehended more than 33,000 illegal aliens 
from countries outside of Mexico and the Northern Triangle. So think about tens of thousands of, mm -hmm. of people just in one month. But here's even more of a startling uh, figure. This is a 35% increase from March, and it's the largest total for a month in at least three fiscal years. So, you know, this is not, okay, people can make the argument, okay, well, this has always existed, you know, at, at the southwest border. People are, are, were always coming from, you know, regions in Europe, uh, Africa, Asia, wherever, but not at these rates that we're seeing and how early it is in the Biden administration. Uh, in recent months, since the beginning of the, uh, the fiscal year in October, Border Patrol agents have apprehended individuals from more than 160 countries, so virtually every country in the entire world. Um, and, you know, that should cause some concern. I mean, think about it. It's, uh, we're typically seeing people from the Northern Triangle from Mexico, but to see this, how expansive it, it's gotten, I mean, these migrants know full well that, again, as, we have, as, as we've said, the border's wide open, and if you enter unlawfully and remain in the country unlawfully, you have virtually no chance of being removed from the country. So it's, I mean, it's easy. And I, and I think, too, this might be almost the starting point for a new type of, of illegal migration to the U.S., where we start seeing more and more people from outside of the Americas, you know, from Asia, Africa, Europe, who are deciding that it makes sense to, to try and come and, abu and abuse the asylum system this way because this is their best chance of getting to the U.S. You know, if, if you can't get family sponsorship, if you can't, if you have no chance of getting empl employer sponsorship, um, you're, you know, you're not from a country that's engaged in, in the visa lottery, you know, there's very limited ways to come to the U.S. And so if someone is really that, you know, hell bent on coming, it, it, if, it, if all that's stopping you is a thousand dollars in plane tickets, you know, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you try? There's, there's certainly nothing, no laws on the books now that are stopping people from from attempting this. And to go along with that, I mean, uh, to provide some more context with the Interior Immigration Enforcement, uh, there was a report recently saying that each ICE agent in ICE's 6,000-person unit is only averaging one arrest of an illegal alien every two months. The deportation totals for April, the latest data available, uh, were, the were the lowest for a month on record. So again, if you come here illegally, it doesn't matter where you're coming from, any part of the world, you virtually have no chance of being removed. So it's it's this huge pull factor that it's telling everybody to, to come now. And it's, you know, um, clear as day. And this is deliberate. You know, we, we saw the Biden administration attempt to put in an entire freeze on deportations for 100 days. Now that was, you know, a hold was put on that in court, but that didn't stop his administration from getting as close to freezing deportations as they could. We're now seeing the idea being entertained of flying some deported illegal aliens back to the United States. You know, it's very clear that the Biden administration isn't just letting things get out of control. A lot of this is intentional. You know, they're trying to increase the numbers of individuals coming into the United States, you know, legally or illegally. Uh, we're seeing that with increases in uh, legal methods as well, with temporary visas, etc. So... I, I guess my question is, is why is this a priority and should the Biden administration be actually interested in representing the interests of Ameri the American people again? What could they do to stop this crisis in its tracks? I, I think this all comes back to the way that our asylum system is, is currently set up because right now we have, you know, up in, you know, before 2014, before 2013, 
we didn't have these waves of, of people coming and, and applying for asylum and then getting relief for, you know, two to three years at a time and then disappearing when their, when their court uh, decision went against what they wanted. And so I, I think you have to look at the way that we are letting people, you know, clear the credible threshold um, barrier. We're, you know, we are very, I think, Matthew, like you said, if you can get to the border, there you there's a great chance that you're going to be able to stay for at least, even if you have the worst asylum case in the world, you're you're going to be here for at least three years, the way that the current backlogs are, the way the immigration court system works. And so until we're willing to address that and acknowledge that not all of these people have legitimate asylum claims, you know, we're just beating around the bush. And I think the Trump administration tried to do this um, outside of Congress, you know, the, the MPPs, they did work. They, they prevented some people from beginning their journey to the U.S. for solely economic reasons. The asylum agreements that we put in place with the Northern Triangle countries, those worked because the people who did need help were able to get it, whereas it, at the same time, disincentivized coming to the U.S. for solely economic reasons. Right. And Again, as as long as you're allowing people to claim asylum because they're afraid of crime rates in their home countries, which is not it, as sad as it is and as disappointing as it is, that is not a, that is not an appropriate claim for asylum in in the United States. Mm-hmm. The way that our current laws are written, maybe not how they're interpreted, but how they're written, that is not that is not what asylum is for. And we need to come back to that understanding of asylum. And, uh, you know, I, I don't even necessarily know if you need legislation to change that. I think the Trump administration showed that just through the interpretation of certain laws at the executive level, that that is something the Biden administration could do tomorrow if it wanted to. And I think it would help not only stop some of you know the, the the migration flows that we're seeing from Central and South America, but it would also stop this extracontinental migration where you're not encouraging people to come from Romania or to come from India or to you know to come from um, from countries in Africa just just because they they are seeing what's going on at the border and they realize this is a an opportunity for them to to migrate to the United States outside of the regular legal order. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security actually provided. Uh, the Biden transition team with kind of a threat assessment of, of this whole phenomenon. And they write, um, quote, although the majority of migrants do not pose a national security or public safety threat, pathways used by migrants to travel to the U.S. have been exploited by threat actors. As a result, surges of migrants could undermine our ability to effectively secure the border. I mean, it's clear as day. They, they just tossed that out, didn't take that into any consideration and what they're doing now. Um, but that's a great question, Spencer. You know, I don't know what their end goal with this is, you know, there has to be certain limitations. It can't just be, okay, anyone who wants to come should be able to come. And, you know, again, it's a mockery of our asylum system. You know, these are protected statuses for people who are genuinely being persecuted. And now it's basically kind of just being handed out and it's a disservice. Yeah. I think so much of this is a rejection of any and everything that had to do with Trump. Um, (laughs) In fact, sometimes with some of the good uh, immigration policies. I sometimes wish right before Trump left office, if he would have just reversed everything that way, whenever the Biden administration came <laughs> right. into office, they would have went, oh, we need to do the exact opposite of whatever Trump did. Therefore, we're going to implement MPP. We're going to secure the border. Because, you know, while that may be ridiculous and probably is a ridiculous assessment, sometimes it seems like all they're doing is just 
What did Trump do? We'll do the opposite, at least for now, even on things that, yeah, where we saw previous administration officials say this was working, you know, when we saw money already being you know, contracted to building the wall and the Biden administration had to literally pay people to do nothing, not to do, you know, not, not to complete their contracts. Some of these literally had no sensical reasoning behind them. And I don't know if the Biden administration just thinks that the general American public is too stupid to see these negative ramifications or if they don't care. But I mean, we're already seeing that Americans see it. We see that Biden's uh, polling numbers on immigration are pretty much lower than any recent president uh, that I could find in their first hundred days. And it's even it's it's his worst issue, um, certainly by far. Yeah. And it's not getting better. It's getting worse. In fact, you know, most and most Americans give a president, you know, a little bit of time to make good on their promises. You know, we call that the honeymoon period. You know, even on something that is not necessarily considered their strong point, you might see approval ratings at least in the 40s or 50s with immigration a lot of Biden's numbers are down in the low 20s. I mean, even his own party doesn't agree with him. You have to get to like the radical of the radicals before he finds any level of support. So, so much of what's going on right now makes very little sense to anyone. Right. And I also think uh, another kind of side topic that should be mentioned quickly here is, um, you know, maintaining these uh, security kind of cooperation agreements with the Northern Triangle countries. So uh, Todd Benzman, he works for Center for Immigration mm -hmm. Studies, great guy who does work on this issue. He had a recent report talking about in Honduras uh, that authorities there recently apprehended 187 nationals from Somalia, 182 from Syria, and 63 from Tunisia. I mean, that, you know, there's some questions to be asked, you know, how do they arrive in Honduras? How, you know, what are their... Uh, ultimate motives. But, you know, it's important that we facilitate, uh, you know, openness and transparency and kind of have these security partnerships with Northern Triangle, because these are pretty much the first stops that people from these, you know, terror-prone countries are going to arrive in before they go to the U.S.-Mexico border. So, again, the threat is all over Central America, even South America, again, countries with lax visa requirements, so it's easy to, you know, fly into. But again, I think it's important that we m maintain those partnerships, because if we go if they go in the dark with us, you know, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to kind of build on that point you're making, we see uh, commonly there's traffic on the border of Colombia and Peru that is ultimately tracked to be individuals who flew to a southern, you know, South American country or who originate in South America but are making the trek to the border. Traffic along that border is higher than it has ever been right now. To, to the point that it's damaging sensitive ecological areas in both of those countries. And recently, Peru has started taking steps to try to completely close off that border, partially because they want to protect sensitive ecosystems, but also because there's a very real threat with a lot of these individuals crossing. Violence is up. Uh, they don't have a good security profile on any of these individuals coming across the border, and it's not the usual suspects anymore. It's people from overseas. And you're seeing uh, other countries, such as Mexico, stepping up their efforts at their southern border to try to stop migration northward. I think it's really, it's, it's really embarrassing uh, that the United States, a westernized, you know, first world country, is doing less to stop illegal immigration into our country than Central and South American countries. You know, it's our problem. It's not, it's not, 
it shouldn't be a situation where Mexico, Peru, other countries have to try to necessarily solve the problem for us. You know, it's very important that we have that open line of communication that we require that they do their parts. But right now, we're not doing our part, and we're making it difficult on the citizens of those countries as well because we aren't taking border security seriously. And a lot of that, too, is because of just the whiplash of they entered into agreements with the last administration that now mm-hmm. this administration doesn't want to to honor. So it's, it's just confusing um, all across the board in that respect. But um, I think that's a great uh, p- uh, point to end on. Um, that's all the time that we have for today. But uh, for those listening, we hope that you enjoyed today's episode about the continued crisis at the southern border. Uh, and it's you know, ongoing effects on the country. Uh, as a reminder, we'll be releasing a new episode every other week. Our episodes are available on most platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Uh, you can also visit our website, fairus.org, and our Twitter handle, at Fair Immigration, to access episodes. Until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration, presented by FAIR.